Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com When there are an infinite amount of female struggles, you decide to do a podcast about them. Emma Joe, Real Davis, and in each episode of this podcast, I take a subject by the horns and rip it to shreds. This is the podcast that isn't afraid to talk about any struggle you've had as a woman from struggling with your body image. You do get some people commenting saying, like, you look like a man and women shouldn't look like this. And actually, I love it when I've got a six pack. To wondering whether marriage is the right thing for you. To say that I'm committing myself to you for the rest of my life until my last breath, that just seems like a really stupid thing to say. So even having a cervical smear test. I need to yeah. take my trousers and my knickers off. Yeah. Ooh. Let me know if it hurts. Oh, blimey. That wasn't the end of the world. And that's it. Oh my gosh, is that it? I'm in shock at how easy it was. This is The Female Struggle Is Real. Okay, I am warning you now, this is going to be a proper emotion episode of The Female Struggle Is Real. Um, You're going to need tissues, probably a tub of ice cream as well, because we are chatting all about heartbreak. We have all been through heartbreak in some way or another, whether it's the girl or guy we fancy, you know, not liking us back, whether we've been dumped, whether we've been cheated on. I am nearly 100% positive that every single one of you listening to this podcast has gone through some kind of heartbreak. And just to be 100% clear, I'm talking classic heartbreak. I'm talking legally blonde heartbreak. You're breaking up with me? I thought you were proposing proposing (laughs) oh if i'm gonna be a senator well i need to marry a jackie not a marilyn (laughs) so you're breaking up with me because i'm too blonde no that's not entirely true then what my boobs are too big your boobs are fine so when you said that you would always love me you were just dicking around no i i i Just listening back to that, I realise I talk about Legally Blonde in every single podcast episode. So I'm so sorry if you're sick to death of me talking about Elle Woods. But it's just such a good film. And if you haven't seen it, what have you been doing with your life? Literally go and watch it now. Anyway, if you're a huge fan of reality TV like me, you might remember this couple from the last series of Married at First Sight. Quantity surveyor Ben and police officer Stephanie were one of three couples matched by science and willing to marry a stranger. I don't want to say too much just yet, but Steph has very kindly agreed to speak to me. It's her first ever interview since the show aired and we chat about everything from what it's like to be involved in filming a show like that to what happened to her marriage 
after the show went out on TV. I broke. I literally broke. I fell on the floor and I cried in a way I don't think... I don't think I've ever cried in my life. I cried like the day I got told that my mum was going to die. I was absolutely sobbing. I couldn't control myself. I was shaking. I... I couldn't stay standing up. I, I sat on the floor. I literally sat on the floor in my friend's hallway. Steph's story is so unique, and yet at the same time, she manages to be so completely relatable. Um, I really hope you love listening to my chat with her, and I'm so grateful as well that she chose my podcast to be her first ever interview since Married at First Sight came out. So what a legend. I also thought it'd be really interesting to kind of understand what happens to your body physically when you're going through heartbreak. I know that sounds completely bizarre, because obviously we know what happens you know you've just been dumped by the love of your life and everything is awful um so i tracked down dr nikki stamp now dr nikki is a heart and lung surgeon in perth in australia and she has written a book called can you die of a broken heart so i thought it'd be really cool to chat to dr nikki and kind of get to the bottom of what happens to our bodies and whether you can actually mend our broken hearts I'm not going to bang on about my own heartbreak too much because I'm sure you have heard plenty of heartbreak stories in your time from friends, from family. Um, But at the same time, I think it's really, really important to acknowledge that we've all gone through it. Like I said earlier, in some form or another, we've all been there in our own various ways. Just to give you a little brief synopsis of the worst time I had my heart broken, um, I was living with a boyfriend at university and um, we'd been going out for a couple of years. So, you know, it's quite a long time when you're at uni together. Uh, We were completely infatuated with each other, or so I thought, until he came home one day and completely unexpectedly told me that A, he didn't love me anymore and B, he was gay. Um, Yeah, so that happened. Obviously, at the time, literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I was so devastated. I was utterly heartbroken. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I literally, I didn't wash for, I don't even know how long, which is really gross. But obviously at the time, it's all you think about. Obviously now I'm able to talk about it in a lighthearted way. And to think about how upset I was now is actually sort of laughable because you can't believe that in that situation you were so debilitated by what had happened. I went to the doctors, I had counselling, I had therapy, everything. It sounds so dramatic but I genuinely felt like I couldn't carry on. It's so completely bizarre what heartbreak does to you and I think no matter what the circumstances are, no one else can ever understand the pain you're in if you're going through some sort of awful heartbreak at the moment hopefully this podcast might help start the healing process even if it just you know encourages you to have a little cry to maybe talk to someone talk to a loved one or a family member and maybe you'll pick up a tip along the way to force yourself to do something physical to get outside the house that will make you feel better. And of course, you know, you can always email me about absolutely anything at all. The female struggle at gmail.com is my email address, even if you just want to get something off your chest. Like I've already said, heartbreak is such a subjective thing. Uh, you can't compare heartbreak, but at the same time, I think there are situations in which the circumstances are so bizarre and so utterly extreme that they do make certain cases of heartbreak worse. I spoke to a woman called Benicia about what happened to her. I sat on the couch in the living room for about five days in my wedding dress. Um, I was just in shock and you know every day I'd hear the phone ringing or hear the doorbell and I just could not move. I was stuck in my dress because I couldn't get it undone because there was nobody at home to help me take it off. Benicia's story in one way or another is literally every woman's worst nightmare. Um, But despite that little clip, she is so positive now. She's so full of sass. uh, And hopefully you're going to absolutely love her. Another thing you're hopefully going to love is because this podcast is 
quite an emotional episode. I thought it'd be pretty cool to give you the chance to win a lovely prize. So you could be winning a spa day at the Guildford Harbour Hotel for you and a friend. You can take whoever you want with you, your mum, your sister, your boyfriend, your pal, literally whoever you want. Um, You're both going to get a 25-minute treatment and just spend the rest of the day chilling in the spa, having a little gossip in the jacuzzi, whatever you want. All the details will be on my Instagram. So get to my Instagram right now. It's at Davis. That's E-M-J-O-R-E-A-L-D-A-V-I-E-S. All the details will be on there. And you'll have until the 16th of November 2018 to enter. What better way than to mend a broken heart than to have a bit of a pamper in the pool? Lovely. Yes, the arancini balls there are absolutely peng. Oh my God. Right, before I get too carried away with arancini balls, this is what happened when I caught up with Stephanie St. Remy. If you watched Married at First Sight from last year, you might remember Stephanie St. Remy. Am I pronouncing it right? You make it sound like I've got an actual halo. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about how you kind of got involved with the show and what happened? I was 32 and single and as any 32-year-old single woman would feel, um, just having had just awful dating experiences. Um, So one day I was around a friend's house and I joked with her saying, the only way I'll ever get married is if I go on that TV programme. She then applied and a couple of months later I got a phone call from them. I went through initially not thinking much of it but I found that the testing and the constant interviews for it they go into so much detail um it made me feel that like oh actually like they might be onto something here and so I ended up married. So can you quickly tell us just when you say about the the detail they're going into so what sort of things are they doing? Oh it goes from measuring body sizes. Oh really? Yeah they they, they want to match you on someone who like physically is appropriate to you Um, and then there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions that you go through from like um, your political values, your family values, what kind of upbringing you have, like whether you watch TV or not. Loads and loads and loads of questions to try and do compatibility testing on that. They've even like taken hair samples. Really? Oh my gosh, that is pretty serious. Yes, it's pretty intense. So then obviously the actual marriage happens and you literally do only just meet them at the altar, don't you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So talk to me about the wedding day. What was that like? The wedding day was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I got ready with my family um, and obviously with my my bridesmaids. Um, And then when it came to actually walking down the aisle um, was the first moment I had a bit of a meltdown. (laughs) I went bridezilla. But understandably, I think, because we went to walk through and the producer stopped me as I was about to walk into the room and said, "Okay, we just got to walk through the kitchen to get to the actual wedding venue and it was the kitchen where they were actually like, cooking the wedding breakfast. I literally just went, I've got to walk through a kitchen in my wedding dress. When I was wearing a <laughs> cathedral veil so I was convinced it was going to drag a bit of chicken down the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> or like go up in flames. Can you imagine? <laughs> and she said, the only way you're going to get there is if you walk through this kitchen. So um, my bridesmaids basically gathered up my dress for me and we walked through. So obviously the marriage happens. Then you go on honeymoon for, is it a week? Yes. You go on honeymoon. Yes. And then after that, you live together in a house that's sort of been rented, I assume, yes. by production staff. Yeah. How were those sort of weeks, you know, generally? It's a bit of a whirlwind to begin with, because um, obviously you have the wedding day and then you have the wedding night. Um, and then the next day you're whisked off on honeymoon. And that was magical like I couldn't have asked for better and then it came to moving in together and Ben had a bit of a wobble before we moved in together and my friends were laughing at me about the whole moving in together thing because (laughs) when I broke up with my last boyfriend who I lived with I said to my friends oh I swear even if I ever get married um, my husband is not allowed to live with me if he wants to live with me he's gonna (laughs) have to buy the house next door (laughs) I hate living with boys Um, they're messy and they smell (laughs) in my experience anyway So I was really quite anxious about living together, but I'd already by that point twigged that Ben was more anxious about it than I was. So at this point, obviously, everything's going really, really well. You're kind of like getting to know each other more and more. And it's very clear to see on the TV show that you did click. We just didn't stop Um, laughing. Of course, yeah. And then the moment comes, uh, presumably, at the end of the filming, where they then ask you whether you want to stay married or get a divorce. And you guys decided to stay married. Yes. 
And then what happened after that? Ah, well, that's where it went horribly wrong. Off camera, it was essentially normal married life. Um, you know, cook dinner, just sort of date nights and sometimes together, sometimes with friends. Um, but after the show, we decided to not live in the same house initially. We basically decided to go back to just normal dating. So rather than being like a married couple per se, kind of like just, you know, see each other a couple times a week. I'd stay over his, we'd have a night in, we'd go out for dinner. And that was definitely the best times. Definitely. In those few months where the cameras went away, it was wonderful. Well, I thought it was anyway, um, because we were able to be normal. We'd have date nights and stuff. Um, it was the Christmas period as well. So we had Christmas Eve round with my family, Christmas Day with Ben's family. It was just normal life. We went and were designing Ben's new kitchen together. Um, posts started to come to the house addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Jardine. But he became like almost like so reclusive that he just went really weird on me. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was that was so off. So we decided basically to just have a bit of a break. So after the show finished um, finished airing, Ben and I met with producers for dinner. And I was really nervous about this because it was going to be the first time I'd actually seen him. He was lovely and it was all fine. We get to the train station and Ben suddenly out of the blue says, so if we were to get a divorce, how do we do it? I literally felt like someone had punched me in the stomach. And I was like what you you want a divorce like what so I thought at that point oh crap (laughs) basically I then found out a couple of days later from him to be fair not from anyone else um that what had happened in those few days was that a girl had gone to the press um and tried to sell a story about him cheating on me so he made out like his wobble was because it was all about to come out in the press that he was cheating on me and that basically I was going to leave him and it was all going to go wrong um but I obviously told him no you know what is it that she said I knew some of it couldn't be true and I believed him which I now feel like a total mug for because although some of the stuff that she said wasn't true um obviously I then found out that a lot of stuff she said was true I had gone to my friend's house for dinner and I was actually in the middle of telling her about like all our ups and downs and then I saw that my phone was going crazy. It would not stop vibrating. There was like so many messages coming through and I was like, what's going on here? So I said, hang on a minute. And I got my phone up and I could just see message after message after message of people saying, I'm so sorry to hear the news. Are you okay? And I could see that people were sending me links to things. So I opened my phone up and in the sea of everything, I saw a link to an article and in it, it said that Ben had announced our divorce on a radio show And I was like, what? (laughs) I opened it up and I put on the clip and there was Ben. And he was laughing and joking about me and about us splitting up. The way he was talking about me was all like, oh, poor Steph. Oh, she was so desperate to make it work. I was like, oh, it just ain't there. And if it ain't there, it just ain't there. I broke. I literally broke. I fell on the floor and I cried like in a way I don't think I don't think I've ever cried in my life I cried like the day I got told that my mum was going to die it was properly sobbing I couldn't control myself I was shaking I I couldn't stay standing up I, I sat on the floor I literally sat on the floor in my friend's hallway but I couldn't even speak and tell her what was going on I just gave her my phone and by this point her phone was starting to go as well um yeah and how did that feel to know that Ben you having given him plenty of opportunity to let you know that maybe things weren't working and he did want to end things and instead of going about it that way he went on national radio and sort of announced it how how was that that was probably more hurtful than anything I've ever felt in my life ever I've been dumped before I've been cheated on before I can handle that I was prepared for him telling me that he wanted a divorce. I was ready for that because obviously we'd had the issues. But it was the utter disrespect. Knowing that somebody who I'd shared the most 
intimate times with somebody who had been telling me he wanted to have his future with me, he wanted to have kids with me, I'd make an amazing mom. It, it was the hardest thing ever because, as I say, dump me. I'm a big girl. I can take it. I'd probably cry, yes. But I'd have a pizza, get my mates round, have a pyjama party and I'd be over it. It was the disrespect that I couldn't take more than anything else. The absolute disrespect. Talk to me about like the actual sensation of the heartbreak. It was a physical sensation. I could probably pinpoint that exact moment, to be honest. Um, I couldn't stay standing um, because it was in such a severe way. It was a good two hours of sobbing hysterically. My friends actually started to panic because she just could not calm me down. It was not specifically the fact of being dumped it was the fact that by this point within an hour it was in every newspaper it was being talked about everywhere thousands of people were commenting and the things he was saying as well he was calling me needy and suffocating and I'm like I see you twice a week I very rarely even contacted him he called me every single day he called me and had a chat on the phone every single day and I was like sitting there feeling like you can check my call register he calls me not the other way around but I just knew that my entire life was about to change for the worse and there was nothing I could do about it. Of course. So I'm assuming obviously most of you listening to this right now have probably gone through some form of heartbreak but it's rare that any of us have had all of this whilst this media storm is going on as well. How did that make it worse? The media was the thing that cracked me. It really was. Um, they were on my case. Um, every tabloid desperately wanted to do a story with me. I mean, I was having friends of mine offered a thousand pounds just to give them my phone number, my email address, my home address, anything. And I just wanted to be left alone. That's all I asked for is just to be left alone. I was offered five thousand pounds by one newspaper to sell my side of the story. That's not accumulative, that's one single article. Um, I immediately was put in a hotel um, in, at the time, was an undisclosed location um, by Channel 4 um, because the, they, they were so concerned about the press just, like, just turning up. And I, I hid. I literally hid. It got to the point where I was too scared to go out of the hotel because I thought if I get recognised or the press get hold of me... I don't know what they're going to say and what they were saying was not nice. It's really weird because obviously it's been a year since that now. Talk to me about how you've kind of managed to put it all behind you. Obviously you're taking it in your stride but you have put it all behind you now and you're moving on. Absolutely. Um, with regards to him and the, mm, I, I say this word carefully, but relationship that we had, um, that's over and done with me I have no feelings towards him whatsoever either way happy sad whatever the press were after me again but this time I felt so much stronger because I'd had like that time to sort of like mend my actual broken heart um, and this time it was only about the press it wasn't about my personal heartbreak um, so at this point I was like no I'm not going to be quiet about this I'm going to say my piece um, and I opened an Instagram account and I released my own videos in my own words on there. It wasn't so much for people to see, it was more for me to say. It was for me to just get everything off my chest. But it went crazy. <laughs> it just went crazy. And um, like thousands of people started following and people started commenting and everyone was like, oh my gosh, she speaks and she said her point of view. Um, and it was fantastic. And I decided to keep it open because I'd had so many positive messages from people who were just like me, normal girls who'd had a normal everyday heartbreak. It's just that because mine was in the press, um, they could see it. And a lot of people contacted me saying that they'd found strength in seeing me stand up to him. Um, and that made me think, you know what, I don't want to shut this down because I want to be able to, to be there and fight these people's corner. And that's amazing. And you're still getting so many messages of support and stuff yeah. now, aren't you? Yeah. What did you say to all these women that contacted you about their own heartbreak? I did take, I say I did, I still am, <laughs> taking the time to um, message every single one of them back, which has been very time consuming <laughs> because each story is individual. But it's come with bad things as well as good but the good outweigh the bad. So, for example, um, I posted once when I was on my way to a counselling session, um, as yes, I am still in counselling to, to cope with the, the media storm that I 
I say was in, still am in. And my last time I was in the press was under a week ago. And I basically posted about how, you know, stress affects people. I tried to get people talking about stressful situations. I tried to get people talking about mental health issues because um, obviously heartbreak can go hand in hand with that, really. So I tried, tried to get people just, just talking about it because I think the more people are open and talk about it, they don't have to start an Instagram account and tell like 7,000 people that they're feeling stressed. But if I can do that, then maybe they can tell their best friend. Exactly. So if there was one thing you could say to someone who is maybe listening to this now that's going through their own sort of heartbreak, you know, maybe they've been cheated on or dumped, what would you say to them? You will get through it. A hundred percent, I promise you. If I can go from that sobbing wreck on the floor to being someone who can just walk down the street with my head held high and go, I don't need a man. So if I can get through that, you can get through it. I promise you a hundred percent. And if you're struggling message me (laughs) Steph it's literally been so lovely to talk to you thank Thank you you so so much thank you for sharing your story because I know it's been tricky and just to say as well that before we started the interview um, Steph was telling me that one of her friends was like if I ever see you cry Steph like the world has gone mad because you never normally cry (laughs) I used to be a secret crier now well the floodgates are open (laughs) (laughs) say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. What an absolute babe, Stephanie Saint-Remy from the last series of Married at First Sight. And don't forget, you can go and message her. She replies to literally everyone individually. Um, And also, she's really easy to find. I mean, her name is literally Stephanie Saint-Remy and there aren't many of those around, you know. I thought it'd be really cool to find out a bit more about the science behind heartbreak. You know, what actually happens to our bodies physically when we're going through that much pain. Dr. Nikki Stamp is a heart surgeon who joins me now from Perth in Australia. Hi, Nikki. Hi, thank you for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. So we'll start at the very beginning. Nikki, why is it the heart that sort of interests you so much? Yeah, look, I'm not 100% sure. I know that sounds really silly, (laughs) but I sort of liked the human body really as a whole since I was little. But I used to um, see a surgeon, an Australian surgeon uh, by the name of Victor Chang, who was... um, working on the more durable mechanical heart so that we didn't need heart transplants anymore. And when he was doing a lot of his work, I was probably about eight years old. And I used to see him on TV and I thought it was so remarkable um, that I sort of said to my parents that when I grow up, I want to be a heart surgeon. What was it specifically (laughs) that inspired you to write your book, Can You Die of a Broken Heart? I think the book came from quite a few things. Um, And then I realised that there's just so much, so much amazing stuff about our bodies, how they work, how they break, how they repair. Um, And I thought it was really important to get that story out, particularly when it comes to your heart. Uh, And so I wanted to present people with all of this information that's interesting and amazing and really help them to sort of fall in love with with themselves, with their bodies, with their health. And that would therefore inspire them to take really good care of themselves. I really sort of put out the challenge there for people to put me out of a job. (laughs) 
know, worth a try. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing I personally got from reading your book was just a reminder of the fact that we're so focused on, you know, how we are on the outside, how we look, our skin, our hair. But actually, it's really not about that. It's about our organs and how we really need to look after them. Yeah, that, well, that's exactly right. I mean, I think we're, we're all sold a story that, um, you know, it is what we look like as most important. It's fitting into our skinny jeans or a wedding dress. When in actual fact, really our, our health, not our, our looks, not uh, our status, that is by far and away the most important thing in our lives. Uh, and once you lose that, sometimes it's really hard to, to get back. So prevention is absolutely key. Let's talk about heartbreak. Um, you talk about heartbreak as being a physical thing as well as a mental mm. thing, which for a lot of us, we probably haven't thought about. So could you sort of explain that for us? Can you die of a broken heart? Basically, I, I settled on that title because no one ever asked me about the interesting physical things of their heart. They always ask me that question. Um, and so I decided to look into it. Uh, and what happens when you experience a stressful event is that that emotional event sets off a whole cascade of physical events in your body, releases a whole bunch of hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, um, it causes your heart to beat faster. It puts up your blood pressure. It disrupts your sleep. And these are all biological things. These aren't things that are, you're under your control. And because of that, your heart is really at the center of it and potentially at risk. So when you have a stressful event, we do see uh, an increase um, in the risk of heart attack, for example, um, or a whole bunch of other health problems. Uh, and, and that sort of can persist for a long time. The other problem with, with all of this risk is that we tend to not take such good care of ourselves when we're stressed. You know, we really <laughs> we sort of shy away from other people or we rely on you know, ice cream or chocolate or alcohol or whatever to get us through. Um, and when we're doing that, we're really, we're really putting our physical health at risk. And of course, there's this very, very select group of people who do actually die of a broken heart. And that is, that is incredibly unusual, but it can happen. I guess that's um, sort of what happened with Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, obviously. Debbie, of course, um, her mother died the day after her actress daughter. So did you put that down to dying of a broken heart? Uh, Debbie Reynolds actually died of a stroke um, and, uh, you know, her daughter's death was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back um, because if you have someone who have particularly elderly people who have you know, pre-existing disease, uh, when they undergo a stressful event, they can actually pass away from a physical ailment. So one of the most interesting statistics I found is if you have heart disease and you're watching the World Cup soccer final, you're four times likely to have a heart attack. Uh, so that's, a, you know, watching sport is clearly very risky, but that's stress response that's set off in your body can, I suppose, set off these physical ailments that we already have. But when we look at, you know, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, the story that we all miss, you know, we got really caught up in this romanticized version of, of you know, how sad it was, but also kind of um, you know, a beautiful ending that, you know, the mother couldn't live without her daughter. We sort of lost the fact that Carrie Fisher was a relatively young woman who died of heart disease, just regular garden variety heart disease, preventable, treatable heart disease. Um, and so the broken hearts that I look after and the broken hearts that we probably all need to worry about a lot more is actually the physical kind of heartbreak uh, and, and illnesses that are actually preventable. Now, you talk about um, women that have, say, suffered mm. with stress being mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. prone to heart problems than men. <laughs> Why is that? Why are we so unlucky? So, so there's a, a few a few theories about that. One of the reasons that we see a, a health benefit with marriage for men, for example, is that we think that men don't have friends like women do to sort of confide in. Or, or look after them. A wife tends to nag her husband to, um, to to take care of himself. So when they're being nagged, we can tell them that's in their own best interests. So when a man and a woman, if they are, are divorced, they both have an increase in their risk of, of heart disease. But if a man remarries, that risk goes back down to baseline, whereas women, we're stuck with it forever. And it's not 100% clear why that is, but it probably comes down to these social reasons, this uh, lack of support or, or a change in our support status, a change in the way we look after ourselves, um, not just the emotional effects on our physical body. If someone, say, sort of is going through heartbreak sort of currently, is there anything medically or physically they can do to sort of ease that pain? Oh, that's such a good question. It really does actually come back to the way we, we sort of 
take care of our physical health because our emotional health will also follow. So all those things that you really don't feel like doing when you're you're heartbroken, like exercising, you actually really need to do because those kinds of things directly oppose all those nasty hormones that cause problems. Um, Staying connected. So, you know, I don't know about you, but if I'm having a tough time, sometimes I just want to hide away from the world and, you know, wallow in my own misery. But actual fact, that's probably one of the worst things that you can do for yourself because that connection, that sense of belonging and being loved and loving someone else actually releases a hormone called oxytocin, which directly opposes all of these stress hormones. So those things that you don't want to do are exactly the things that you should do if you're heartbroken. Thank you so, so much, Nikki. Um, (laughs) Please go and buy Nikki's book. It's so interesting. I can't tell you. It's called Can You Die of a Broken Heart? Available from all good booksellers, of course. And Nikki, I'm going to let you get back to your your job because you are still, of course, a practicing doctor. You're probably, you know, got patients waiting for you right now. I'm, I'm currently sort of sitting away on my ward, um, but that's okay. Pleasure to talk. So, uh, you know, spread the good words so you don't end up here on my ward. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nikki. No problems at all. The very last thing we want to do when we're absolutely heartbroken is get out of bed, put some clothes on and go for a walk or a run. But it's cool to hear that Dr Nikki Stamp says they're the exact sort of things we should do. So maybe if you're going through heartbreak at the moment and you just can't bear to drag yourself out of bed, hopefully that will encourage you to do so. If you've got a friend who's maybe going through heartbreak as well, um, you know, you can be their guiding light that sort of helps them get through that by doing those little things heartbreak is completely subjective I remember when I was going through it yelling at people you don't understand Um, and obviously my mum and my best friends and my sister did understand they'd all been through it themselves having said that though there are extreme circumstances that can make it so much worse Benisha joins me now all the way from Toronto in Canada. What's it like in Toronto at the moment? It's cold right now. We got a little tiny bit of snow last night. Um, it's gone now, but it's it's pretty cold. Oh my gosh, that is mad. In the UK, it's just pretty rainy as it is all the time. Um, <laughs> um, now, talk to me. You've suffered some pretty, well, extreme heartbreak in your time, haven't you? I have. Um, so I was engaged Um, we planned out the wedding and everything and the wedding day rolled around. He didn't show up. Um, at first I thought he was just running late. And so I was at the church in the bridal suite, just kind of waiting for somebody to say, okay, it's go time. And after about an hour or so, the best man came and was like, Hey, you know, I haven't heard from him yet. Just checking on you. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. He's probably just running late. Uh, about the two hour mark, a uh, best man came back and he was like, hey, so, you know, it's been about two hours. Maybe we should let everybody go. And then, you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that he wasn't coming. I was like, you know what? I don't want to leave because then I leave and he shows up and he thinks I didn't come. That was where my brain went. And um, once we hit about the three hour mark, best man came back and was like, look, why don't we just let everybody else leave? And if you want, you and I can stay here and we'll just wait or I can take you home. And as soon as he shows up, we can just come back. It's not a big deal. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know what? Maybe he's at home and or maybe something happened. So yeah, let's do that. And so he took me home. Um, he made the announcement for me and he took me home and I waited around and I sat on the couch in the living room for about five days in my wedding dress. Um, I was just in shock. And, you know, every day I'd hear the phone ringing or hear the doorbell and I just could not move. And finally, um, best man came over to check on me and he was the only other person who had a spare key to our house. And he came in and he was like, hey, like, I was a little worried. We've been trying to check on you and no one's heard from you. And I remember talking to him about it afterwards and him being like, I came in and you were like a statue. You were sitting in the exact same spot you were in when I dropped you off. I was worried. And I said, you know, well, I was stuck in my dress because I couldn't get it undone because there was nobody at home to help me take it off. And he was like, okay, like if you want, I can help you with the zipper. And he did. And as soon as he did, then it hit me. And then I had like a complete meltdown because in that moment I was like, oh my gosh, now I know what's happened. So um, it took about two weeks (laughs) before my fiance actually did come back home. 
And when he did come home, he explained that he knew he wasn't ready. And every day he was like, I got to talk to her today. And before long, so much time had passed. And then the day came. We stayed together for about two months after that because it was traumatic for the both of us. And, I, and he was still somebody that I cared about. So I wanted to help him through it. And then after that, um, we split and I moved out. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to start. I mean, at which point would you say that you realized you were just completely and utterly heartbroken? It was definitely in the moment when I felt the dress getting looser because the zipper was coming down. And I was like, okay, now you have to get out of your dress. You have to take off this makeup. You have to wash your hair. You have to go back to regular life. And it's not anything like you thought it was going to be a week ago. I suppose during those five days, would you agree that you were sort of in denial about what had happened? Yeah, I hadn't hadn't even processed yet that him not showing up meant that I wasn't getting married and I wasn't even going to be in this relationship anymore. Like in my head, I was just sitting there like, what could have possibly happened? What could have possibly happened? I wasn't even uh, conscious enough to think to myself, oh my goodness, maybe something happened to him. It was just, was he late? Did the driver not show up? Maybe he got lost. Like I was just kind of sitting there like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything. And I would hear the phone ringing and I'd be like, Bernisha, the phone is ringing. But I wouldn't answer. I wouldn't move. I'd hear the doorbell and be like, Bernisha, there's somebody at the door. And I'm like, nope, still can't move. Physically, I mean, like you just said, you literally couldn't move. How did the sort of heartbreak affect you? It's weird because people always talk about like when you fall in love, how you get butterflies. You get butterflies when your heart breaks too. And it's a different kind of butterfly. So for me, I call it the dark butterfly. It feels heavy, like a sinking feeling. So everything that reminded me of him that I encountered gave me those dark butterflies where it was like, oh, I feel literally sick to my stomach. I'm tired all the time. I just want to cry all the time. I don't want to get out of bed. And when I get out of bed, I can't wait to get back into bed because I don't want to talk to people. Because then you go through a period where everyone's like, oh, how is so-and-so? And And you're like, "Uh, now I have to say that we broke up. And then everybody's next question is, oh my gosh, what happened? And then you end up telling the story and it's, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And you almost have to relive that moment every single time you tell somebody what happened to you. And it's one of those situations too where Even when you've made progress in terms of healing, for the person who's hearing about it for the first time, it's brand new to them. So they're not really cognizant of the fact that maybe you've made some progress and you've gotten past certain parts of what's happened to you. And they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And you're like, well, I was okay. And then here we are. (laughs) I thought I was past that, but now you want to relive it. So I guess I'll relive it with you. Now, one of the worst things I personally think about heartbreak is when it's drawn out over a period of time, which obviously, in a way, it was for you, um, you know, staying with your ex for those two months after that awful day. Um, Can you talk to me about the phases of heartbreak? It starts off with you kind of being in denial and being a little bit desperate to try to find a really quick way to fix it. I know for me, the big thing was, okay, how do I fast forward to the part where I'm okay? And you start to panic when you realize, wait a minute, so this isn't going to be a quick fix. Like I can't fix this easily. I've, I've likened um, breakups and how you feel through them and, and how you feel through heartbreak to the stages of grief, because you are mourning a loss. So I have, I had that moment where I was in complete and utter denial and I had that moment where it was like, okay, maybe I can try to negotiate. And for me, negotiating meant praying and being like, okay, I promise I'll be better. I'll do this. If God, you fix this problem and I can just get back to my life the way that it was before. So this doesn't hurt anymore. Um, Eventually you get to the point where you accept it, where you're like, okay, you know what? It's sad, but it's over. And if I accept that now, then I can start working on feeling better about the fact that it's over. It took going through heartbreak um, more than once for me to kind of navigate how to get through it and how to get over it and still be okay on the other end. 
And that's something that I've been sharing online with people for a while because I know how difficult it was to get there. Did you do anything where you kind of forced yourself to get out of the heartbreak? You know, was there a moment, for example, where you were just sat on the sofa feeling like utterly miserable, but you forced yourself to sort of get up and do something? I cut off all my hair. Really? (laughs) I did. I was sitting on the couch on a day like I usually do. And I, I said, you know what, I got to do something. And I made an appointment to see my stylist. I was like, it's an emergency. I have to come see you. And she was like, okay, come through. And I went and I was like, cut it off. And she was like, cut off what? I'm like my hair, my hair was just past my shoulders. And I wanted it cut really short, like Halle Berry. And she's like, are you sure? And there were other people in the salon who were like, no, no, no. Like, are you sure? Maybe we should talk about this. I'm like, just cut it off. And the whole process, like the cut and style and everything was about two hours. And with the exception of walking from the chair to the sink to get my hair washed, I kept my eyes closed the entire time. And I just spent the entire time that she was cutting and styling, just sitting and reflecting and just being like, okay, you're cutting off your hair. So this is really a start over for you. And here's what you need to be mindful of going forward for yourself. Not necessarily, you know, oh, here's here's the kind of guy you have to be careful of. It was just kind of a stop getting lost in your relationships so that when you come out on the other end, you have no, you have no idea who you are. And I talked to somebody about that last week where I was like, you know, they were like, oh, well, you know, if, if somebody that you were in love with asked you to change, would you change for them? And I said, well, habits, sure. But changing who you are fundamentally doesn't make any sense because heaven forbid, if that relationship ends, the only person you're going to be left with is you. And if you've changed yourself into somebody that you don't know, then you're going to be left with a stranger and you can't, you can't, you want support of people that you know, and how can you even ask other people for support when you're stuck with somebody that you don't even know yourself? I love that, you know, through your heartbreak, you basically, like you say, it is like a grief and you almost lost a part of you. So your kind of solution was, do you know what? I'm going to lose another part of me. I'm just going to cut off all my hair. I just love that. I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, it, it worked out really well. I mean, the haircut was cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I'm so pleased. I can't wait to see a pick. So obviously one of the other great things about about coming out of heartbreak is being able to talk about it like you are now. I mean, you know, the fact that you've just told me about that incident and you sound completely emotionless is just so great. Maybe you're listening right now and you've just gone through the worst breakup ever. You will get through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know it's it's one of those things where in that moment, it never feels like it's going to be better. And people are like, oh, it gets better. And you're like, it absolutely doesn't. I am just going to die this way. It's like, (laughs) I never try to um, minimize how people are feeling in their moment. Part of your healing involves allowing yourself to feel the feelings that you have when it's happening. The people that I have talked to through breakups, I've told them like, you have to get back to dating yourself, fall in love with yourself again. You also have to make time and give yourself room to forgive yourself for whatever part it was that you played in the demise of your relationship. Because I find what happens is a lot of time, it's so much easier to blame the other person because it doesn't force you to be introspective. And when you look at yourself, you're like, man, okay, these things were wrong with me. You want it to be something outward so that you're like, okay, well, I can find a plan and I can fix it and everything will be fine. Doing the work on yourself, for yourself, is hard work. And nobody ever wants to do that. But when you do do it, you come out so much better and you learn so much about yourself that it makes it easier for you in the future to handle and even recognize a similar situation. Do you dread going through heartbreak again in the future? I do. And I have been through it again. Um, I, I might even dare say that it was worse after that, but, um, and it's hard and it's scary, but the trade-off for the moments that you are happy and the things you learn about yourself in your happy times, I think it kind of balances out. One thing that I've kind of started looking at when I date now and in the couple of relationships I've had since then is when it's over, I'm grateful that I'm like, oh, so I do, I'm still capable of those kind of feelings. I can fall in love again. Because when you get your heart broken, you're like, 
I don't ever want to fall in love again. I don't have any more feelings left. And then you fall in love with somebody and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm not broken. I can do this. So true. And I think hearing your story especially will help so many people get through it as well because, you know, there are extremes to heartbreak and yours is a pretty extreme story. So thank you so, so much, Benicia, for telling us your story all the way from Canada as well. No problem. I'm glad I could help. What a queen. Oh, I love Benicia. She was just so open and honest about her heartbreak. And I love that story about her getting her hair cut. Sometimes psychologically, it just takes one action like that for you to think, do you know what? From now on, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to get out of this miserable phase. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to leave the house and I'm going to do something that's going to make me feel good. And obviously for Benicia, that was getting her hair cut. But really, it could be anything. She's so cool and so lovely to end on a positive as well. Um, If you're going through heartbreak at the moment, I hope this has made you feel just a tiny bit better. Please do email me as well if you want to talk about anything at all. My email is thefemalestruggle at gmail.com. And don't forget to enter my fabulous giveaway where you could be winning that lovely spa day at the Guildford Harbour Hotel for two people with treatments included. I spoil ya, I do. Um, All the details will be on my instagram i'm not going to spell it again but it is at mjo real davis as always thank you for listening you know it means the world to me um if you share it brownie points if you tell a friend brownie points if you send me a message saying you've listened brownie points thank you so much and uh, i'll see you at the next episode of the female struggle is real So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>